The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Thessalonica. He wanted to come back there, really, and be reunited with his friends and visit again the church he established. It was a lifelong dream for him, but he didn't make it. He said the devil thwarted him, not just once, but twice. He wanted Thessalonica, but he got Athens instead, and he was frustrated. And his experience answers to ours. For somewhere along the line, each of us has to deal with disappointment, deferred hopes and displaced plans, and blighted dreams. For every person's life is a diary in which he intends to write one story and is forced to write another. There are very few people who ever get to live on the basis of their first choice. Most of us have to settle for something less than what we really thought we really wanted. And that's a problem for some people wanting Thessalonica and getting Athens. So how do you take life's frustrations and make them into something good? If you don't have a philosophy for failure, if you're prepared only for success, you're not really equipped to deal with the normal issues of life. For the big question this morning is not who will experience frustration the big question is how to handle frustrations. And the text gives us some magnificent clues. First of all, you are to encounter frustration with resilience rather than resentment. The amazing thing about the Apostle Paul was that he never resented his frustrations. I mean, he had a lot of them, too. Even the thorn in the flesh, he never resented it. I have looked in this text, and I cannot find it anywhere. Resentment. And I have listened to the words that have come out of these pages. And I've not heard a whine of bitterness. And I've not sensed a sigh of self-pity. He just didn't do it. That is a normal reaction for some, you know, to lash out in resentment and bitterness against life's circumstances, or to crawl off into some petulant mood and whine about what a bad hand life has dealt you. But as soon as you do that, you have unfit yourself for any constructive and positive living. That's what resentment is, you know. It's a kind of a brittleness of personality that refuses to bend to new demands. Psychologists are talking a lot today about mental illness and about the tremendous need for a resiliency of character and personality that will bend like the tree to the wind but will not break. Satchel Page is dead. He was the great black pitcher that pitched for the Kansas City Monarchs for years. I understand he even pitched against uh, Gene Barker and some guys here in Durant when they were playing semi-pro baseball here years ago. 
Satchel Paige, because of the color barrier, did not break into the, Ameri into the major leagues until he was over 40 years old and still is in the Hall of Fame and probably would have been the, one of the greatest pitchers that has ever played the game. He was as good a philosopher as he was pitcher. Now, I'm not sure that he claimed any kind of religious preference at all, but you know, he had a tremendous philosophy of life concerning frustration. And he, he, he listed them in an order of six. Listen to them. Avoid fried meats, which angry the blood. Now that's some information for you. Number two, if your stomach disputes you, lie down and pacify it with cool thoughts. Keep the juices flowing by juggling around gently as you move. I mean, hang loose is what he's saying there. Number four, go very lightly on vices such as carrying on in society. The social ramble isn't restful. Number five, avoid running at all times. Number six, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. Now, I don't know how you'd say that in a preacher terminology, but I think you'd say it something like this. If you're going to preach on those six steps to a healthy living, you'd say, if you lash out in resentment against frustration and declare a war on them, and if you tear yourself to pieces with anxiety, your frustrations will eat you up like a cancer. The Bible contains the story you learned as a child. It's a story of a boy with a beautiful coat. You remember that part of it for sure. This brothers, because of jealousy, sold him into slavery. He languished most of his life away in prison. One day he was made prime minister and saved the land, and his brothers came to Egypt for help. They didn't recognize him at first. But when he spoke to them, he said, I am your brother you sold into Egypt. Frustration. But don't be grieved or angry that you sold me into Egypt. For it was God who sent me before you to save the land. Therefore, you did not send me down to Egypt, but God did. And that kind of a philosophy is worth pondering. For here was a man who languished his life away in prison, and yet he never turned loose of the belief and faith that the God to whom he prayed could bring good out of evil. And even though he suffered a, an unjust and savage imprisonment and mistreatment, he never lost his faith that somewhere out in the darkness there was a divine, transcendent, benevolent will at work. And because God was at work in his life, there was nothing, no such thing as an irreparable disaster. And he believed that God could take the rubble of his blighted dreams and out of them build a great future for his life. That's worth thinking about. And I'm convinced that that's what Jack Taylor and Peter Lord are going to talk to us about. I'm not talking to you this morning about a kind of a passive non-resistance. I'm not even talking about a stoical determination to take whatever comes in life and bear it. I'm talking about the faith rest life. 
I'm talking about learning how to be free and trust God in every area of life. I'm talking about being able to see frustration as a way of God accomplishing something in your life He could not do otherwise. I'm talking about how to be set free from the bondage of worry and anxiety and bitterness and frustration. It takes some resilience. It takes some belief in God. It takes some trust. Now, how do you learn to believe God? Well, you just do it by believing God. Have you ever noticed that? And I'm convinced that Bob Spedeen can believe God and trust God today. If you've heard his testimony and know the story of his life, he can believe God and trust God today better than he could three months ago. You know how he's learned to trust and believe God? By just trusting and believing God. How do you deal with life's frustrations? with resilience rather than resentment, believing that God is going to take care of the matter in His own time and in His own way. It's going to be better when it's over. How do you handle life's frustrations? By understanding that they can be fruitful, but they're never final. No event is ever final, nor can you properly appraise it on the day it happened. There's always plan B. And the Apostle Paul wanted so badly to go to Thessalonica. He was defeated in that plan. He was frustrated in that dream. And when he could stand it no longer, he resorted to plan B. He sent Timothy. It was the best thing that ever happened to Timothy and Thessalonica and even Paul. Have you ever noticed that sometimes plan B is better than plan A? In 1915, in Coffee County, Alabama, a depression had come. I mean depression and recession. The crop in Coffee County, Alabama was, the co was cotton, and they depended on it. The boll weevil had moved in, and it destroyed the cotton crops. And so the people were poor, and they were leaving Coffee County for work somewhere else. There was a man who lived in Enterprise, Alabama, in Coffee County, a black man. And he began to tell the people, hey, why don't we learn to grow the peanut? His name was George Washington Carver. He said, well, you can make plastic and paper and ink and shampoo and soap out of the peanut. So they did. And things began to look up. Prosperity came to Coffee County, Alabama. In 1919 in Enterprise, they erected a monument with a big old boll weevil on the top of it. Some of you have seen it. I know some folks have been there seen that thing. And an inscription on the monument which reads, In grateful appreciation to the boll weevil, as the herald of prosperity to this county, this monument was erected in gratitude by the people of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama. You don't have to look far to find those kinds of experiences in your life if you'll be honest. Failures that turned out to be fortunes, disasters and blights that turned out to be blessings. Someone said resourceful people never make mistakes for they turn their failures into portals of hope. That's what Hosea was talking about when he talked about the valley of Achor that terrible, frightening valley where Achan was buried, that thief who disobeyed God. The valley of Achor became the synonym of disaster and disgrace to the Israelis. 
and it was called in the Moffat translation of the Bible the, the uh, Dale of Trouble. And God said to Hosea the prophet, I'm going to turn your Dale of Trouble into doors of hope. Thank God he can do that. It happens all the time. God takes our dales of trouble and in His divine work and beneficence and providence, He turns them into doors of hope. He does it all the time. I mean, He even does it for unbelievers. Thomas Edison started work on the railroad. He wanted to be a railroad person. He wanted a job, a vocation on the railroad. One day as a young man, he spilt acid in the baggage car, caught it on fire, it burned down, he lost his job. He turned to scientific research. What a fruitful frustration. Abraham Lincoln thought of himself at the age of 46, the consummate failure in America, and by accident or by providence, he turned in the direction that led him straight to the White House. John Wesley came to America to work with the Indians in Georgia. He was a miserable failure. He went home frustrated. And in Aldersgate, in the frustration of his life, he found the Lord and established the Methodist Church. A.J. Cronin was a doctor, but because of poor health, he gave up his practice, turned reluctantly to writing fiction. You know the rest of the story. Victor Hugo was banished by the French emperor and sent 23 years into exile on the Isle of Guernsey. There he turned to writing. And he said, I should have been banished earlier. There is no such thing as a final frustration or there is no such thing as a fatal frustration. What may seem to be the end might be the beginning of something great. Even an illness sometimes becomes a door of hope. Now that's a baffling paradox, but it's true. Sometimes an illness can be a door of hope for the paradox that has been proven over and over and over again is this, that the things of life sometimes can be best seen while we're lying flat on our back facing up. Remember that your frustrations are never final and can be fruitful. Finally, how do you handle frustration, life's frustration? you learn not only how to endure them, but to employ them. That is, you learn how through faith in God and trust in Him, how to capitalize on your calamities. Now folks, the fact is, we can, we can use our frustrations as a, an excuse for our weaknesses are through our faith in God and our trust of Him, we can allow them to become battlegrounds of victory. Oh yeah, Paul got thrown in jail. I mean, right at the height of his ministry, he got thrown in jail. But he didn't beat on the bars of that jail and in bitterness say, God, get me out of here. He said in the Philippian letter, well, I don't know why this has happened like it's happened why it happened like it did but I know this that I'm in jail and the gospel is being preached in a greater way because of it so what difference does it make that I'm in jail that's the way Jesus was he was always able to see a frustration as an opportunity a divine opportunity one day he stood to preach 
and he was getting ready to deliver his sermon, and he didn't have much time to preach too many sermons. And just as he got ready to preach it, he heard this noise, and folks began to come through the roof of the house where he was. And in the frustration of that interrupted sermon, Jesus taught one of the greatest lessons he ever taught on the deity of Christ and the forgiveness of sin. I mean, he took everything ugly and turned it into something beautiful. He even took the weapon that was going to be used to destroy him, the cross, and he made it a force to lift him, to lift men to the very heights of God himself. And you can see that spirit in the New Testament everywhere. Read the book of Acts. Here were these Christians. You put them in jail, and they started revival in the jail and converted the jailer. You persecute them and scatter them abroad, and they just broke out in a passion of preaching, planting the gospel wherever they went, watering it with their own blood. Hail them before courts and kings, and they had turned the courtroom into a congregation, and they had used the prisoner's dock as a pulpit. Put them in prison, and they'd come out of those dark dungeons with the New Testament in their hands. I'm here to tell you, that it's possible for us not just to endure our sorrows, but to, to employ them. It's not just possible to take criticism, but to use it. So that in every disaster, every frustration, we can actually make it pay and profit through our faith in God, who can do all things. Thornton Wilder has a three-minute play on the event of the pool at Bethesda. You know the story. And in this play he has this physician with this terrible wound that has not been healed waiting for the water to be troubled so he can go in and be healed. Just as the water was troubled he starts into the pool and an angel uh, stands against him and says, draw back physician, there is no healing for you for without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very sorrow that puts kindness in your, faith, in your face and sends your voice trembling into the hearts of hurting men. For angels could not heal the wretched like a human being broken on the wheel of life. In love service, only the wounded can serve. And so the physician turned away in sadness because he knew he would never find healing for his wound. Just as he did, a man came running to him to say, Sir, come quickly. My son sits in the darkness and no one can understand him but you. You're the only one who can lift his mood. And my daughter, since she lost her child, sits in the shadows and will listen to no one except you. It is your wound, it is your wound, sir, that makes you the healer. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know this morning that the frustrations that come to our lives can actually be used to help others? Now, I'll give you a personal testimony from the trip. You know, how do you, how do you minister to a hundred street kids in a room the size of Fellowship Hall try to teach a Bible school? I mean, the noise level was deafening. It, it, was, it, was, it was terrible. 
and those little children coming every night to Bible school and our kids dealing with them in, 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 a, in a marvelous and loving way. And I watched as their frustration on about Wednesday night, they were just literally, or Tuesday night, they were literally frustrated. How in the world are we going to handle this? They were just coming out of the woodwork. And so we talked about it, and Tim led us in prayer and encouraged us and guided us. And Wednesday night it was better, and I came home, I couldn't wait to hear what happened when the rest of them got in yesterday. This is what they told me. And when they started to leave yesterday morning, the little children were out at 7 o'clock on the streets to bid them farewell. They were going to leave at 10.20, but they were out to see them leave at 7 o'clock. They had a little service for our kids down on the corner. They presented Tim with a rosary. They sang a song. They wept. Some of them got in the buses and the vans that were headed to the airport, got under the seats. They wanted to come home with them. They wept. They held on to the sides of the van as it pulled away. And, and clinging there, they cried. And they said, you guys are not coming back. Please come back. And I thought as I developed this message, isn't it marvelous that God can take the frustrations of our life and actually use them as an opportunity to bring glory to Himself. Not to us, but to Him. That's the way it is. And that's the marvel of the Christian life. That's the marvel of the faith rest principle. That's the marvel, marvel of the Christian walk. Nobody else has that promise but you and I. And Edward Seale has written a little poem prose on it called Opportunity. Listen to how it says, sounds. I beheld this, or I dreamed it in a dream. A large, a great cloud of dust spread over a plain. And beneath that cloud, or in it, raged a fierce battle. And swords clanged upon swords and shields. A prince's banner waved and then staggered backward, hemmed in by foes. Along the battle's edge a craven crept and thought, If I had a sword of finer steel, the blue blade the king's son holds. But this blunt thing he snapped and flung it from his hand, and lowering crept away and left the battlefield. Then came the king's son, wounded sore bestead and weaponless. And he saw the broken sword hilt buried in the dry and sodden sand and ran and snatched it up and with battle cry lifted afresh. He hewed his enemy down and won a great cause on that heroic day, opportunity. Folks, you belong to the king. You're the king's son and daughter. You're a prince and princess. And every broken sword and every frustration and every defeated moment and every blighted dream and every broken heart is a broken sword that you can snatch up and in the power of God use it to His glory and honor. That's the promise God gives you. So that every frustration becomes 
a divine opportunity for the king's children. And that's a good word. How do you handle frustration? Do you face it with bitterness and resentment or with resilience, bending and yielding, knowing that whatever happens, God's going to get good from it? Do you see them as final and get bitter or do you see them as fruitful? Do you take them and employ them in the power of God or do you just endure them? It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? I'm going to ask that we have invitation hymn this morning and the invitation hymn to be like this. I'm going to ask you today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you do not have the promises that God gives in His book, you do not know Christ in a personal way, you've never accepted Him, you've never trusted Him, I'm going to ask you to do as some of those little street kids did. I'm going to ask you to just come as a little child down this aisle and take my hand and say this, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I want Him to come and live in my heart. I want His forgiveness of sin. The second invitation I want to extend to you this morning is those of you who are living in the midst of life's frustrations and you've gotten bitter, you're angry, you're resentful, and you've just kind of endured, but you're not happy about it. I'm going to ask you to come and give those to God this morning. Let Him take those frustrations and just lift them up and lift you up in doing it. Maybe you call that rededication of your life. I don't know. I think it's called the surrendering of everything to God, even the things we resent. I'm going to ask you in the third place this morning, if you're a Baptist, you need a, you need a home, you need a place to minister and serve. We want you so badly to be a part of our church. We feel God is in the midst of a big work here. We want you to be a part of it and help us. Would you do it? Would you come and say, I just want to lay my life here with these folks alongside them. I want to serve God here. It's time to do that today on this special day. Join me in prayer. Then we'll sing. We'll invite you to come. Heavenly Father, it's so good to know that there is nothing in life that can ultimately defeat your children. It's so good to know that you are the overruling, transcendent, benevolent God in control of everything. And there's not a defeat except what we allow. There's not a lost cause except when we don't turn to you and use it. There's not a bitter moment except what we've permitted to happen. That you're the God of freedom, the God who wants us to have life abundant, victorious, reigning, triumphant. And that there is so much more than just to exist and endure and bear up. And I pray this morning that we'll find the secret Paul found just turning over to you everything that happens. 
as we turn over to you our life in a fresh and new way. And I pray for those of us who have never known what it means to be forgiven of sin and saved, born again. This will be the day for new birth. I pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Now would you